Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Control Port Podcast, episode 261. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today, talking about video games. It's actually been, um, I've actually been pretty productive the last uh, week and a half, um, and I don't think I really touched on this last week, and, and part of the reason why that's the case, actually, just for, for full disclosure here, is um, with my, I, if, I mentioned a while ago that I swapped jobs, um, and uh, been there a couple months, two, three months, but then now, you know, with the economy kind of going how it is, uh, basically ended up in, in a part-time role rather than a full-time role now, so... Um, yeah, still trying to really figure out what that means and what that will do for me, like how to approach that. You know, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to go back to the line of work I used to be in, try something new. I'm leaning towards trying something new, especially since I have part-time income. So I can kind of use that as like a, a buffer while I try out some other stuff. Um, but yeah, so it's given me a lot more time to think more about the YouTube and, and stuff. I haven't really thought too much about like, you know, if you think about YouTube from like a trying to make money from it or make a living off of it, you know, I haven't really thought too much about that. I just, I don't know. It's very challenging, you know, to, to figure that out if, if you do do that. So it, it has given me a chance to really rethink some of the content strategy plans for, for the, for the YouTube channel. Um, but it has not really changed. Um, I think my, uh, continued, um, feeling of just like, Hey, if I see a path, maybe I'll make the YouTube thing work. Um, but until I see that path, I'm not going to really like, you know, dive into it. So my plans at the moment are mainly focused on non-video game things, but that's not related to this podcast. Just want to give you guys an update just so you know, on the bright side, that does mean I will be working on more stuff, um, in the short term at least, and hopefully, uh, getting some more content out on a more frequent basis. And some of the changes I'm making to how I'm making content might also help with that as well. I know I promise this all the time, so I'm not going to say too much, really. I just want to say that it's something I'm trying to do, and and hopefully we'll see if it actually works out this time. But, you know, I think every year I have, like, a new a new strategy, just like, okay, this didn't work out this way. Let me try this. This didn't work out this way. Let's try this. So hopefully this hopefully this is a good strategy going forward. We'll, we'll see. But um, anyway, so, so one thing that's, like, a part of that, though, because obviously you can kind of imagine there's a lot of anxiety that comes in that situation in some ways is I wanted to just kind of sit down and play a game and not really have to think about it that much. Um, you know, whenever I play a game that I I am, like, really excited to play, one of the problems is is that, like, I, I will go into the mode of, okay, I need to figure out how to make a video about this kind of thing. Um, and I don't necessarily need to force everybody into a video, but if I'm excited about something, I often want to make a video about it. So it's it's kind of challenging for me to just start a game and and have the confidence that when I finish it, that will just be it. Um, so one approach I've been trying to take, though, and I did this with like Super Metroid earlier in the year, was just like, actually, I maybe I don't need to like maybe I can take this time to play games that are are more popular and it's very less likely that I'll need to go on my way to say something about them. Um, there are exceptions. I sat down and played Super Mario Land thinking the same thing, and I ended up really liking Super Mario Land structure and looking online and seeing that no one really had talked about Super Mario Land in the way the way I had talked, like wanted to talk about Super Mario Land. So I saw an opportunity there to chat about that a little bit. So I did do that. But um, this time I played Super Mario World, Um, and, you know, I was coming into it not really thinking, um, that I was going to enjoy it. Um, if you don't know, I have a hard time with classic games for a lot of reasons, just my personal, you know, interest in games and, and kind of exploring games and learning about games and things like that, um, kind of puts a limitation on me where if I play a game that I know a lot about through other people or like other people's impressions and things like that, it can be hard for me to really appreciate it, um, outside of just being like, historically, this is significant, right? 
Um, Super Mario Bros. 3 is a great example of this. You know, I sat down and played Super Mario Bros. 3, and while it definitely has a lot of variety to it, um, it just kind of more or less just feels like what I would expect a Mario game would feel like. So it's like, okay, this feels like Mario. Um, and I think that's what, what kind of took me su- to, by surprise in Super Metroid when I played that was it just did not like feel the way I thought it would. And honestly, I feel like Super Metroid quality wise was not up to the level and standard I had generally heard. I feel like Super Metroid is more of a um, stumbling first step that leads to a good idea um, that doesn't necessarily work well, at least from an initial impression. I think one of the benefits of Super Metroid is that you can like, you know, each playthrough, you kind of build on your understanding and mastery of that moveset. And that game seems to, as somebody who only played through it once, seems to have room for you to move up like that movement um, skill level and really change how you approach that game. Just like the screw screw attack off the top of my head, like how you can spin, you know, pretty, I'm pretty much, I think, infinitely as long as you have the timing down right. And I feel like in playing Super Mario World, I got a very similar feeling to that with like Super Metroid, where Super Mario World has a lot of like things that aren't very clear on like the surface level. But when you sit down and play them, um, you can kind of just see this like really expansive moveset that Mario has with the ability to like just throw stuff like up, you know, upward, uh, like side to side. Um, you know, like the spin jump, regular jump. And and even the power-ups, like the cape, just has like this really interesting like dive mechanic that I really just would not expect to see in a Mario game, like a level of skill that they ask you to do. And and so it, it, it it's it 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 when you sit down and start playing it, you realize that like, well, yeah, you are Mario and you're just jumping, but like the moves you have and how they ask you to use those moves in the world um just has a really unique feeling to it. And it, and it definitely to me feels like like no other Mario game I've played um, in terms of just like the level of complexity and and um, and you know I guess like deep thought put into the game design in a way that that I think just really really impressed me um, with it and, and it's kind of interesting because when you look at like surface level Super Mario Brothers three and Super Mario World I think in a lot of ways I I would expect I would like Super Mario World more because I'm somebody who really likes variety. And Super Mario Bros. 3 has variety in that case. But I think the problem with Super Mario Bros. 3, at least to me, is that that variety very rarely has a real impact on the game. Um, Where in the case of Super Mario World, where there is not that much variety in terms of the surface level elements, um, the tweaks they make throughout the game's level design, the enemy design, and then Mario's own moveset and how those moves change how you interact with the environment... Um, really, really, uh, kind of blew me away. I think in a way that I was not really expecting. Um, I don't think it's like a new thought or feeling about that. I'm pretty sure if I went and looked up online Super Mario World, you know, <laughs> thoughts and feelings, uh, that would be something that would be kind of relevant. Unlike where like Super Mario Land, I think the thing with Super Mario Land is that like people always kind of lean on the okay, there's the shooting elements, the level, like the, the stage settings are weird. But like what really surprised me about Super Mario Land was the difficulty curve. And me just kind of kind of loving the difficulty curve in Super Mario Land because in some ways it's actually kind of bad. Um, but it's it when you think about the context of when it came out, it makes a ton of sense why it like like basically goes from easy level one up to like somewhat hard level two, and then just like really flattens off until the end of the game because I think they just need you to have that challenging Mario experience immediately in, in, in a Game Boy game kind of thing. So 
Anyways, this is not about Super Mario Land. It's about Super Mario World. Um, and so, yeah. And, and so, so I really like, enjoyed the, 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 like the mechanics of Mario as a character, as well as the, the enemy design. You know, again, there's not a ton of different enemies in the game. Um, but I feel like their attack patterns and how they, 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 they react to Mario hitting them. It's all very different. And, you know, I think about like the, I've heard they're called the, 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 the football players or whatever and like how you jump on them and you kind of bounce off in really weird ways but they have like different functionalities where some have like you know uh balls that they throw that bounce around a bunch they have ones that like shovel rock there's other ones that will just like dash at you and 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 things like that and it's like well yeah it's still kind of the same enemy and like a lot of the the reactions or how you approach that enemy um, um, uh, is the same, but because of those different elements they throw on those enemies, and also just sometimes straight up the placement of them, right? Where it's like, here's a Chucky on a tiny little platform, and how you deal with that is incredibly different from how you deal with a Chucky on like a flat plane kind of thing, right? Um, and, and, and because it's like a very dynamic bounce you get off of that, um, it, it's, it's kind of interesting to try to plan around that. And then, and then they also, I think once you hit them once, like even if they have like an equipment thing they're using, like a shovel, they'll just like start charging you so you can get them to kind of like charge off the edge. So there's like a lot of really cool dynamics, I think, to the enemy design and how they, how they move and how they work. Um, and then also the world maps, just kind of a neat thing. Uh, you know, I, I was kind of surprised and, and I, I guess one thing I should have said towards the start is like, I played this game when I was like maybe four or five, we might actually get to that here later. I played this game when I was, when I was really young, but like really have not played it any significant amount since then. So like, this is pretty much a fresh experience to me beyond just like random flashes of memories I have from when I was a kid. But um, uh, the world map's actually pretty neat because it's not like, you know, World 1-1, World 1-2, World 1-3. You have kind of these different um, paths you can go down. And it's not super complicated, um, but, like, depending on, like, how you finish a level, um, it, it like, opens up different paths to get around. It, it, but mo most of the time, it seems pretty straightforward. But, but there are occasional times in the game where they really force you to go and, like, really explore a level and, and, and try to find every little secret passage in it. And I think it's like a cool way to get you to kind of replay levels and try to think about them differently and like really sit down. And again, I kind of think this comes back to the moveset. Like th think about how the character moves in this world, what your capabilities are, how can you reach different spaces in, in the world itself for that. Um, so yeah, I just think everything just feels like it's really, really tightly designed. And, and even though it, it's working with not that, like nearly as many assets as I'd say like a Super Mario Brothers 3 feels like it's working with, um, just the diversity in terms of the actual um, mechanics of the game and how it functions with Mario, I think is, is really interesting and really cool. So I was really happy. I came away from that game being very positive. I always worry like coming in, into these things and just like, I, I don't feel good saying like, I don't like Super Mario Brothers 3. I don't care about Super Mario Brothers 3. It's just not a game for me. I don't feel good about saying that. Um, and I always just feel like kind of a Debbie Downer in those cases, but I want to be honest, right? Like I, I can't sit there and just say like, oh yeah, I like Super Mario Brothers 3 just because I want to like Super Mario Brothers 3. I try to, at the very least, you know, kind of soften my language a little bit. It's, it's kind of the problem I had with talking about Xenosaga episode three recently, where I feel like I didn't soften my language enough because sometimes you don't need to be aggressive. I feel like with your language and, and you can get the point across honestly in a better way, I think. Um, but anyways, and I feel like I'm just kind of like whenever you have to, whenever I walk away from a game like Super Mario Brothers three, I'm just like, I feel like just hard and like I don't want to like make people upset but like that's just how I feel and I feel like Super Metroid was kind of writing that line I'm like this game's interesting like from a, a lot of perspectives and I can see why people like it and why so many games built upon what Super Metroid was but when I think about it from a quality perspective like at least from a first time playthrough 
um, it really it really underwhelmed me in a lot of ways. And it, and it makes me think Super Metroid's like not really the Super Nintendo classic I really expected it to be. Um, it feels like a, a foundation that really just didn't come together versus like A Link to the Past feels like a foundation that was set and pretty much, I'd say, almost perfected in A Link to the Past in a way that I think kind of in, in some ways hurts it now because so many games since have been built upon that formula and 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 do it differently and, and but use that that core foundation like as as its kernel. So when you go back to A Link to the Past, it's kind of like, well, this is kind of the kernel of every Zelda game in some ways. So it makes it less special, I think. So... Um, and I think, I wonder if part of that with Super Mario World is that the moveset that um, Mario has in this game, I think, may have ended up in a very similar situation as like a Super Mario 64, I say, as somebody who's mainly played 3D Mario games over the years, and that's kind of my focus in a lot of ways when it comes to Mario games specifically, and that like Mario's moveset was really rolled back after Super Mario 64, and, and Sun- Sunshine as well, probably, actually. There, there, Sunshine's kind of weird because it, f- it forsakes some moves for other moves, but it's still really complicated in its moveset. Um, but, you know, when you get to Super Mario Galaxy, you know, Mario's moveset's significantly um, less of a thing there. And I think so, so going forward, that has, has been the case. Um, Odyssey has some really cool stuff as well with um, Cappy and stuff, so I don't want to, like, give it too much trouble. But I just feel like Super Mario World feels like the game that has the most that you can do with the moveset. And um, I wonder if a lot, of, a lot of them rolling that back is just feeling like maybe it's too complex for, like, a more general audience in some ways. Um, but, but it does feel like Super Metroid in some ways where it's like, there, they feel like there's a high skill ceiling with this moveset. And once you know what you're doing, and once you know the, the mechanics of the game, there's like parts of the game you could really, uh, excel in, um, just, just because of, of increased knowledge of how, how that moveset works. Where I, I sometimes think about games like, I actually put in New Super Mario Brothers for a little bit, just to kind of like feel the difference between the games, uh, the, the DS one. And like, yes, Mario has like an a, an expansive moveset in that game because he can do wall jumps, ground pounds, things like that. But the the motions and actions you have feel very controlled and very limited in what you can do with them. And 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 I think anything that you can do with that expanded skill set often feels more like a breaking of the game rather than the game kind of embracing it. Where I feel like Super Mario World embraces those elements in a way. That, that I really liked. So anyways, I was really happy that uh, I sat down and played through Super Mario World and really enjoyed it. Um, it's, a, it's a shame that I can't say that as much about a lot of other Super Nintendo games that I've played. Um, even like Yoshi's Island, I feel kind of mixed on. Um, although I went back and read my impressions about Yoshi's Island and my memory was being a lot more negative about that game than I was. When I went and read my impressions, I remember disliking the beginning of the game, but thinking it really picked up in the back half. So um, maybe that's something I should do um, sometime soon is go back and revisit that again. On the uh, Patreon, um, we do like article readings and things like that, um, where I go back and read old articles and gives like some feedback to, to, to like how it was written or maybe explain why I may have felt certain ways, even if I maybe not don't agree with it today and things like that. And uh, I wonder if that's like a good one to go back and do, honestly, especially after talking about this this week. So I'll think about it. I will think about it. Popular games aside, though, Buddy Mission Bond, I did finally play it. So, like, after I got my hours cut and kind of stopped worrying so much about, (laughs) you know, what do I do next kind of thing, I I really wanted to make some time for Buddy Mission Bond because I'm like, this is the time I'm going to get to sit down and really focus on this game. And I kept finding reasons not to, and, and the problem is it's just like, the, the time it's going to take because when I did actually sit down to play Buddy Mission Bond again, um, I got through one story arc 
And it took me 10 hours to get through that one story arc. Admittedly, I'm like 100% that game, getting all the extra stories, reading all those. I'm doing a little bit of safe scumming, but nothing that really feels like so much that I would like be slowing down my progress significantly. Maybe let's say, let's say like add on an extra like 20, 30 minutes for safe scumming. And then maybe like add on, you know, if you want to be generous, you know, I'm using machine translation. So sometimes it could take a little time to kind of, you know, uh, dissect the text on screen. Although, you know, I, I generally am pressing the A button when the voice acting stops. So I think I'm moving at a pretty steady pace, but you know, maybe an extra, like, you know, let's say 20 minutes for me being a slower reader because of using machine translation. And like, it just takes so long to get through a single story arc. Now I will, I will say you can save pretty much at any time in buddy mission bond they are very generous there are times you're locked out of saving but most time you can save so you can stop whenever you want for the most part i just want to see the whole story all the way through at that time so so it's it's a me problem not necessarily a buddy mission bond problem so anyway so the part of that game i'm at right now if you if you uh don't know anything about buddy mission bond is um so a lot of this game is kind of you know not only First, you're kind of being introduced to these characters at the beginning, and it's kind of like in a fairly, I'd say, a very American kind of town in some ways. I know that technically nobody's from any real-world country in that game. I had a conversation about uh, this with somebody in, in Korea, I think, specifically recently, because I mentioned the fact that they're they're talking about Luke's kitchen and um and like really wanting a kitchen like luke's and i was like oh yeah like a kitchen like luke's is like actually a fairly standard american kitchen and i always kind of assumed he's american so that would make sense and then they mentioned back to me like oh uh, well luke's not american but i can see the inspiration or something like that so um anyways but uh the point being you kind of start there and then you go on like this plane trip and you end up on this like a uh, resort island kind of thing and on that resort island um you go through like this like very las vegasy kind of place and then right outside of the las vegasy kind of place there's this uh little shrine town kind of thing very old-fashioned japanese town and i stopped there where i was going up to that town and um and then so that's where i started uh, last time I, I played. And, and and so basically I'm kind of finishing out the story arc for that. You go in there, it's very much like, hey, no outsiders allowed here kind of thing. Um, and the, the character that's really the focus of the story there is Mokuma, which is the um, the older ninja in your in your party or whatever. And he has a lot of trauma based off that and stuff. Um, and so it's like, it's like a mix of like, you know, people, the, the new characters meeting new characters, but then also Mokuma has like this longer term relationship, but like, it's also been like 20 years and, and he's kind of like iffy on certain parts cause they're fairly negative to him and, and, and kind of, kind of back, back the other way with that. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so a bunch of stuff happens. We're in that town. The only thing that I, I really can say too much of, oh, well, let me talk about something structurally here real quick, or mechanically maybe is the right right word. So uh, you get to the end of that section and you're essentially, you know, there, stuff happens and you got to go fight this castle. You got to go fight in the castle, not fight a castle. Going to go in a castle and go fight. Um, and and there is a uh, QTE segment there. And previously there was a QTE segment where you fight a guy named Ian. And it's it's a it's a fun QTE segment for sure, um, but it's a little maybe more visually plain because it's just you fighting Ian. It's a lot of repeating animations, which is true for most of the QTE stuff in this game. Um, but uh, uh, this new area is a lot more dynamic. There's a there's a boss in the room, but all, as well as like multiple like too many bosses and a bunch of like uh, smaller like ninjas around. And you can even like have reinforcements come. But if you if you play your hand like the if if you 
instead of the investigation scene ahead of time, you can actually go and, and stop reinforcements by solving a puzzle mid-combat kind of thing. And in it, when I say combat, it's all QTEs. It's nothing like super fancy. Um, but uh, they do a pretty good job, I think, mixing up the QTEs, not only in how the, um, the, the, like the two different bosses have QTEs that function in different ways. Um, but then you also have um, the the like ninja. You'll go and fight one ninja, and then you'll press the QTE. But like right after that QTE, a bunch of other ninjas will appear behind you, and you have to press all those QTEs as well um, to kind of complete that little encounter kind of thing. Um, and because there's a lot more going on, it just feels a lot more diverse in terms of like uh, the, uh, attacks and movement and things like that. Now, I'm in saying this, like I'm like 40 plus hours into that game, and this is like the second combat encounter. So this is definitely one of those kind of peak points in the story, right? Um, it's not like something that's happening regularly, um, but but I thought that was really good overall. Um, but there's a key character in this seg- segment that I really like, and I don't really, I don't want to spoil that much. So I'm going to really try to talk as vaguely as possible about who this is. But like, if, if you play the game sometime in the near future, there's a very good chance you'll just know who it is. But there's a guy who's in the town, essentially, and he's very, um, you know, kind and welcoming up front. Um, but, uh, as, and, and, and he's very kind and welcoming in a way that I really like characters to be. So I'm just like loving this dude. I'm like, yeah, this is my favorite kind of character. Um, and then you're like going on, you're like, I bet you this guy betrays you. And like, sure enough, he does. (laughs) And and so like, what are the kind of, like, there's different ways that I, I like some villain characters and stuff like that. I mean, everyone I think has different ways they like them, but like, I, I kind of really like villains. I kind of like scummy villains in a lot of ways. Um, and, and these can be characters that never redeem themselves. When I think of like some of the Xenoblade Chronicles villains, I'm not going to name any specific names. But there's villains in that game that are just kind of shitty people. And I kind of just like those shitty people. Um, but then there's like redemption arc characters too. Or like, um, I forget his name. The guy in Final Fantasy XIII too. Uh, the dude with purple hair. I feel like it's sort of Caius. I think this might be his name. Caius has like a, a reasoning for what he's doing. It makes a lot of sense. And I, I do like that a lot. But this guy goes from being like super nice guy to like ridiculously shitty person. Like by the end, he is just a nightmare person. Um, and <laughs> part of me, like he's obviously, he's completely changed face. And like, I'm just sitting there like, I still just like him a lot, though. <laughs> I'm like, I still just really enjoy this character a lot. So he's a he's a jerk, and I still love him for it, I guess. <laughs> so so I had a really good time with that. Very very fun uh, scene. There's actually multiple animated scenes. I feel like I feel like it's been one of the more intense um, kind of animated sequences. So. Um, but yeah, it was really great to get Mokuma's full story, uh, or or the majority of the story, I guess, or at least that's what it feels like. We're kind of like closing the loop on Mokuma here, and I, and I'm really happy um, to have finally done that. Um, I'm not really sure how this is gonna play out in total in terms of like when they start wrapping certain characters up. Um, I feel like the only characters who have really had their stories wrapped up is is Mokuma so far. Um, they introduced some stuff with Chelsea, the guy in the the suit with like the the face makeup on. Um, they they kind of introduced stuff with Chelsea, but I feel like they have not closed that loop yet with Chelsea. Um, and then also um, Aaron as well. Um, they've kind of gone through a lot of Aaron's backstory and why he's in the position he is. I don't really know how like. You know, Aaron might technically be wrapped up. I think I think there was kind of this story arc that happened. The problem with Aaron is just that, like, he has a lot of past trauma, and a lot of it can't really be addressed in, like, easy ways. Has a lot to be, like, to do with, like, being in a, a, a you know, 
uh, third world country that's like war torn and stuff like that. Um, so like it's a complicated history for him. It's not a lot of personal. Well, there's personal aspects to it, but there's a much greater story around that. So I wonder if he's really ever going to feel like truly closed on the loop because he's kind of his whole thing is basically going back and trying to help the people who are who are in this war torn country. Right. And I don't really know how much you can really do that in this game. We'll see. I still have a ways to go. I'm like a chapter 12 out of 19. And then I assume Luke will be the last one we gets the loop closed on. They, they've hinted a lot at what's going on with Luke. Um, particularly with, um, um, you know, at, at the beginning of the game, they tell you that Luke is adopted and everything. Um, and so, um, but he seems to not really remember much about, you know, what happened before he was adopted. So I imagine a lot of that's going to be uh, uh, focused on that kind of thing. So anyways, I love Buddy Mission Bond so much. I'm going to try to play some more this weekend. I uh, just got to figure out when I can sit down and dedicate the time. Um, I might try to split it up where like maybe at night I play half a story and then the next morning I play half a story <laughs> to, to, to see if I can try to break it up in a way that feels satisfying to me. But like the problem is just like once it gets going, I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop the body mission bond. I want it to go forever. So um, I think in the end, if you do everything, I think I heard that it's like a 70 hour game. However, I did see that when the uh, free trial came out or not the free trial, sorry, the um, I guess like, I don't know you would call it like it was like a period of time where you could play through the entire game if you wanted to um, for for with uh, I forget, actually somebody on go nintendo podcast mentioned what it was recently because like i really hate the term free games when it's like a subscription service at no extra cost so it's a game at no extra cost so they let you play at a period of time at no extra cost beyond the nintendo switch online subscription and um and uh somebody there said it was like 25 hours for them to get to the main story so uh, i really think it just depends on how you want to approach it but i feel like the side stuff is so important and character relation building is just like such an important part of this game that like i can't imagine playing through the the game without getting these additional stories and stuff it would it would yeah it would just be weird to me so anyways buddy mission bond very cool very fun i had a great time enjoyed it um when i'll finish it (laughs) I mean, if if it is like 70 hours, you know, I'm still like only barely halfway through it. It is a long game with a lot of voice acting, but dear God, do I love it. And I want it out of my life so I can go on and play other games. But like, oh man, I do enjoy it so much. I'd also like to make a video about it, I think at some point. We'll see. There is a video out there about it already. I haven't gone and watched it to see like what they say about it. Um, there's also like an English guide video about it somebody made as well. Um, um, so, but we'll, we'll see. I have a feeling that I probably have a little more to say than them about it, but who, who can say? Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm assuming too much. I have not looked at them. So anyways, there's a couple other things here, but I got a lot of other stuff to go on. So let's, let's just skip that for now. And we'll, we'll come back to those later. Maybe if it makes sense in a different podcast, probably Patreon people, I need to apologize. Sorry. Last week I skipped, I skipped you. Um, there was just some recording issues last week. And then like, I realized I was going through the recordings. I didn't have the Patreon stuff ready. And then I was like, I just, I just need this, this podcast to be done so I can edit it and get it out. Um, so unfortunately I skipped you, but we're back. Patreon time. We're back. Thank you so much. Jillian, Paul Daniel, discreet and zero new Patreon person, um, for, for, uh, donating to the Patreon. I appreciate it. If you donate at the $5 level, like they did, um, you can get bonus content. So what we had this week was a commentary on my Wario's Woods video. Really my first real game review video. There was the baseball one, but the baseball one is very, uh, light at best. Like I basically say maybe like three to five sentences in that entire review, um, and mostly just show off the game. 
<laughs> Wario Woods, I have a lot to say about Wario's Woods. So I went and did a commentary on that, had a good time with that. Um, so at the $5 level, you can get that. I've been generally focusing on video content for the bonus video stuff. Kind of realized that if I just put a little, little, little tiny bit more effort in, I could make the content video without too much trouble. Um, so, so that's a bonus of that. So I haven't been doing as much audio content, I will say. So if that's what you were looking for, I'm sorry. I don't really know how I'm going to bring that back. The big reason I was doing audio initially was because of car talk. Because when I was at my last job, I had to drive to work every week. Um, so it was like, well, I can just record on the, the drive home or something like that at, at some point. So anyways, video content has been the focus on that. Um, upcoming content is um, I have a uh, – uh, uh, I, I took the do- the Dojin books I got at Comic Cat and just in general I was in Japan – in um in 2019 and just did like a little kind of show offy thing with it um i try not to show too too much because the problem with doge and stuff and showing that off it's it's personal works right and each person has different ways they feel about you posting you know images from it i feel like also it's japanese so like i i'd have to you know reaching over those culture and language barrier things is a whole other thing so um, I never really wanted to share too much of them online because of that. But maybe in like a sneaky way, I was like, I'm kind of safe probably in the Patreon. It's probably okay to put it up in here and be fine. Like, I'm not saying they're like reading the books to you or showing you every page. I'm just like, I got this. Let's look at the inside real quick. Flip, flip, flip. Neat. Telling you some stories if I got some stories around it. Stuff like that. So I hope it's as, as respectful as I can be about it. But I just had, hadn't really shown that stuff off in the past because of that. So um, um, so that was a fun thing. Uh, it's just sat down and, and flipped through that. So that's coming out uh, next week um, on on the Patreon. Last week, we had the WarioWare thing, which I already talked about. Wario Woods thing, which I already talked about. So, um, But hey, if you donate at the $3 level or or the $5 level too, I, I need to figure out a, way, a better way to message that. But you know, if you donate at the very least the $3 level, you can ask a Patreon question. And uh, one of those questions came from uh, Jillian. And Jillian asked, what or who got you into video games in the first place? Or is this a Jillian question? I feel like I accidentally pulled a, a level skip question. I'm sorry, Jillian. If that's not your question, I will I will go to your question pull next week. It may or may not have been Jillian's question. I don't know. I seem to recall pulling one question from the wrong place and having a note somewhere that we needed to uh, resolve that. But, but uh, too late. We're already here recording. So anyways, the question is, what or who got you into video games in the first place? And, um, well, it's it's a little, um, I don't know if complicated is the right word, but maybe my, my it's it's fuzzy, you know. So I, I come from a, a pretty large family, and um, a lot of the people in my family were very much into computers and technology and stuff like that. Um, my dad ran, like, an IT business um, um, at the time, and he, he also got really into computers and things like that. And um, so uh, my uncles, and, and I have a very long timeline of family, so I have uncles who are very young as well. Like, the oldest is, like, 50-something, and the youngest is, like, two or three years older than me. Um, anyway, so, uh, you know, uh, uh, my uncles really got into video games as well. So whenever I went out to, to, to visit them, um, I would play um, NES games there, and then later on Super Nintendo games. Um, and so, you know, I'd play games like Contra, um, I remember playing Skate or Die 2 specifically, I think, um, and then, um, on the Super Nintendo, things like Donkey Kong Country, um, um, Super Mario World, Link to the Past, things like that. And so I really think in the end, like, it probably was my uncles who kind of introduced me to video games. I can't say for sure. Contra, I know, is like, there's an early video of me playing Contra out there. So, um, there's, there's that. 
Um, but what really got me into video games, I think there's different levels to this, right? So there's the kind of the initial like, okay, what was your first console? And, and I can't remember off the top of my head if I got a Game Boy Pocket first or a Nintendo 64. I think I got a Nintendo 64 first. I could be wrong about that, but my memory is getting Nintendo 64 first. And the Nintendo 64 I got in like, I, I believe it was either 97 or 98. I got Mario Kart 64 and Blast Corps. And that's what my dad, I believe, got for me. I, it happened when I was on a trip down in North Carolina. So I was already living at Las Vegas time. And I was on a trip down North Carolina visiting uh, my mom's grandparents uh, down there. And um, I remember getting that. And we went to like some like grocery store that has cows on it, maybe like as their their logo is Moo something. Or maybe I'm thinking of like a rental store that had cows. I don't remember what it was. But anyways, so that's where we got Mario. Well, he had gotten it from that store. Um, and then, uh, and then we got Mario Kart and Blast Corps. Um, I have this memory of trying to return Blast Corps at the time. I think we could not because we opened it already. <laughs> um, I seem to recall that because I did not like Blast Corps myself. My sister liked Blast Corps a lot. So it was kind of a jerk move to do. I, I think I convinced my dad separately, but they didn't let us return it. So I, I was just stuck with it. Rest in peace. And now I played Blast Corps recently and Hey, Blast Corps is a great game. Uh, uh, and really fun. So I'm glad I held on to it. So thank you, whatever cow grocery store there was. I remember the game, the video game section was right by like a giant rack of guns. That is like my memories. Maybe it was a Walmart then in that case, maybe the video move like rental place was the cow thing. Cause I don't know how many places could have sold guns in like a grocery store other than Walmart. So, um, that's at least my memory. If you're like Ben, guns aren't allowed in grocery stores in North Carolina. Sorry. I can't remember. So, um, so there's that level. And that's like when I really first started getting into video games. And then, um, I would say probably, um, 2004 era DS era, um, getting on the internet and finding communities about Nintendo online and stuff like that. Ah, that's where I really got into like real, like I'm a nightmare person on the internet thinking about video games. But like up until that point, I was just, all I ever wanted to do is play video games anyways, right? So, and, and like, like if I read, all I wanted to do is like, not even read, I would just go through video game magazines and look at screenshots and stuff. Like, video games always was like the sole focus of my mind, basically. So, yeah, that's kind of the, the trajectory that was. So, good, good time. So, thank you again for the Patreon. Um, I'll be asking another Patreon question next week. I'll put the uh, tentative question up. Um, on Monday on the Patreon, if you want to ask an additional question, feel free to go ahead and uh, um, comment on that post I make on the Patreon. And with your own question, I can add that in there. Um, and yeah, so again, I appreciate you guys supporting me. Video games new- news happened. Um, so I know I mentioned a while ago that I wanted to kind of focus more on news stories that were more relevant to the podcast and the topics that we covered. Um, but one thing I, I thought about doing was um, instead uh, taking a little bit of a different approach to certain news stories. Um, so one of those things I thought about was the fact that when I watched that last state of play that was like very Japan game focused, and I was really interested in what was going on, but I felt like the final note of every video game I had was, this looks really cool. I will probably not ever play this. And I feel like that's like just a downer note to end on whenever I think about that stuff. And I think that's part of why I didn't really like that stream that much. 
Um, and, and, and I think some ways that feels true about just covering game announcements in general at sometimes like the bigger ones are just like, this looks cool. I will never play this kind of thing. So I thought one thing that might be kind of neat and you guys let me know how this is. And if you do like or dislike this or whatever, um, to talk more about these games that are more popular that get announced and things like that, but maybe talk more about what would get me to, um, to buy them in some ways. Um, now thankfully at the state of play, I think there are actually a couple of games that really did catch my eye and I would have talked about anyways. Um, and then I feel like as a Final Fantasy fan, I just have a duty to talk about Final Fantasy 16 to some degree here. Um, but, um, anyway, so we're going to talk about the state of play here a little bit. So, um, throughout there, there's a, a handful of games that were announced that, that I want to talk about. Um, one game that I probably would have skipped over talking about, um, was Resident Evil 4, the remake for that. I think it comes out like in March next year, I think when they said, and, um, you know, it, it, looking at it, it does look like a new, new, fresh, polished Resident Evil 4. And as somebody who played a lot of that game and really enjoyed it and, and, and would put that at probably one of my, I don't know, favorite games of all time, but one of the best games I've played of all time, uh, lists for that. Um, it, it is something that is, is somewhat interesting to me. I don't hold a lot of nostalgia for Resident Evil 4, I will say. So, like, it doesn't, I don't look at it and go like, oh, it's Leon or something like that. Or, or, or it's Captain, or what's her name? Higgins? 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 The, the lady with the glasses um anyways so i don't like look at that stuff and like get really like excited um um but i i did think about the question of what would get me interested i remember there not being much gameplay in there i think was one problems and resident Evil 4 is a game with like very specific gameplay for its era so you're gonna have to revamp it a little bit and i think um the one thing that i'm really concerned about with resident Evil 4 as a game is um the if it just kind of follows the format of the resident Evil 2 and resident Evil 3 remake which are very you know as far as i can under like can tell very good video games that control very well and everything. And there, there are benefits to that. I've talked a little bit about Resident Evil 2 and I think what I could get out of Resident Evil 2 if I sat down and played it at some point. But um, if they don't change that that game too differently, like how it controls and things like that, then personally, I don't have a lot of interest in playing that specific Resident Evil 4. You know, I'll choose between Resident Evil 2, 3, or, or, or 4. I don't know which one yet. Part of me wants to get 3 because I think the multiplayer mode looks kind of cool. Um, but anyway, so, so it, it, yeah, it looks like Resident Evil 4 kind of like nicer oh it is completely it is a remake kind of thing they're they're changing the storyline and everything like that it is a final like a true final fantasy 7 remake kind of thing um and and, and trying to think about what would get me interested in that game though um so i think a key point with like resident evil 2 for me is that what it changed the the resident evil 2 remake i should say what it changed um from like what i could tell from the demo is that the how the player can deal with ai and very um cheap ways is kind of um um nerfed in some ways right so like a lot of resident Evil 4 5 and 6 are games that kind of are about um you could just you could just shoot you could just do that but it's about like going up and finding ways to kind of put enemies in different states right and this is especially true for resident Evil 6 and why i think resident Evil 6 is an amazing game to watch go look up some like real high level mercenary mode gameplay on resident Evil 6 it's beautiful it's like a dance i love it I wish I played more Resident Evil 6 Mercenaries mode. I would love to. And I, I talked about it on PC before, but you have to play through the game to get all the content, which I don't want to play through Resident Evil 6 again, honestly. Not because I, I just don't like it, but I've already played through the game twice. Um, like every story twice. Um, anyways, so, um, but the, the the thing is, is that like, I think that's like a beautiful thing. And so I feel like Resident Evil 2 really disrupted that and, and added an emphasis on, and again, I haven't played the full game, I just played the demo, but added an emphasis on more self-preservation again, which is something that I feel like the Resident Evil series was kind of missing for a while. And I think that's like really cool and really important for that, that 
that that style of Resident Evil to to or really it's just like a different way to approach that. Um, and so like that part of Resident Evil Two like already kind of draws me in, and that's like what's interesting to me right now. But like like specifically Resident Evil Four, like what in addition to that, I think I would want that to be in there for sure. Um, but yeah, like think about what what I would want out of that is a really hard thing. Yeah, I can't really put my finger on anything. I feel like I'm already failing what I said I was going to try to do. But like in the case of Resident Evil 4, I think because I'm already so focused on like what I like about Resident Evil 2, like I feel like that is just like my current desire when it comes to Resident Evil. Because Resident Evil 8 is something that I haven't really wanted to play at all because it, it like I think they're th- interesting things story-wise with Resident Evil 8, but like I, I, I haven't really wanted to sit down and play that. Um, just mechanically, I just, I don't know. Like, I liked Resident Evil 7, don't get me wrong, but it was, just, it was all over the place for me in some ways. And, and 8 never really, like, jumped out at me as, like, you know, that much more interesting or whatever. But, yeah, I don't know. I think this is a, a failure on my part for Resident Evil 4 already. But let's move on to something else. <laughs> so I guess the answer is right now, I, I don't know what Resident Evil 4 would need to do to get me excited about it. I don't think I can get excited about it right now. Um... It would depend again, it would depend on what they show, but like within the constraints of what that franchise is right now, I'd be really surprised. Um, that being said, that means I can't be proven wrong. Capcom also announced Street Fighter 6, and when I like thought about Street Fighter 6, like when I saw that gameplay, literally, this is because I was, I was trying to be in this mindset when I was when I was watching this, although apparently Resident Evil 4 I didn't figure out anything for, but like I was sitting there with Street Fighter 6, and I was like, what could get me excited about a Street Fighter 6 game? And I was thinking about it from a fighting game perspective, and I was like, I don't think that much kind of thing. And then I was like, you know what I would really like? I would like maybe a more centralized story aspect of Street Fighter that makes it feel more, more like a, a an adventure through the story that didn't just feel like, like individual encounters. Now I will say I've not played Street Fighter five that much or anything like that. So I can't say, or yeah, Street Fighter five. Um, so I can't say like how they've, they've done that story wise, but I have not gotten the impression from the outside that the story has been like a particularly focus. But then, like, right as I was thinking that, they showed the open world aspect of Street Fighter Six, where, like, a dude running around <laughs> in a town or whatever, and and just, like, uh, I think he, like, like can just, like, punch around in the environment, but also get in fights and things like that. And I, and I couldn't tell if it was, like, a creative character or if they're just trying to hide the identity of the character. Because all they had, like, a hoodie on, but you couldn't um, actually see him. So I don't know if it's a creative character thing or whatever, which is, I'd be fine with. It's not, like, a, a super... I don't know if like from a story perspective, I like a creative character, um, but like from a moveset perspective, I don't think I would like care that much about that. I'd just be like, I want to be the Ryu man. Um, so, so yeah. And I saw that. I was like, this is actually like a hundred percent something like this is something that gets me interested in Street Fighter six. I am at the point where I'm like, maybe I should check out Street Fighter six. And it kind of reawakened an interest in me that I kind of forgot that I had in a game called uh, Virtual Quest on PS2 and GameCube. And I had been looking at this game when I when I first started really digging into used games. And I was like, what can I get cheap on the GameCube and PS2? Um, or the GameCube specifically. And I saw Virtual Quest. I was like, I really want to play Virtual Quest. And admit, admittedly, Virtual Quest looks like it has a bit more whimsy to it. You know, the main character's a kid and stuff like that, right? Um, um, but the thing with Virtual Quest is I was always scared of Virtua Fighter. And when I played Virtua Fighter 4, eventually, that kind of confirmed my fears of just like, Virtua Fighter is a game that really needs you to know what you're doing for it to feel any good to play. So while I could play Virtua Quest, um, I I don't feel like I would get to the point where I 
understood virtual quests. I'd probably cheese my way through to the combat and really just focus on um, the, the exploration aspect of that game. So seeing Street Fighter VI, a game that has a fairly accessible combat system, do this approach is, is really interesting to me. Now, um, I, I think I'm a little concerned anytime it's like an open world game you know how big is this space how much like like time is there in between different areas they didn't show a lot of big open space so i'm really hopeful that it's very kind of compact and and very content filled and, and then when i think of games like this i think of like deus ex or like a uh, uh, dc superhero girls how those game hand, handle their open world and their content final fantasy crystal chronicles the crystal bearers things like that i know they throw these names out but like just these really um small areas dense with content that feel big because you can roam around them and they're very busy and there's like different interconnecting parts of that at level but it doesn't feel like it's huge just to be huge and that's the big thing i think for me um, also i think from a story perspective i'm curious to see how that kind of plays out um, if it's a creative character story i think i'm more interested in that versus like or if you're playing as like ryu or something like that which it, it seems like you're not doing that you know you're playing someone else so um i i I think variety in that world as well from a content perspective will be will be important too. You know, I don't really know what that looks like. You know, I don't know if that means, you know, ending up with like, you know, going around doing street brawls with different conditions placed on you. If that would be like interesting or just feel gimmicky. You know, I love stuff like the general idea of like the, um, what's it called? The uh, World of Light and Super Smash Brothers um, uh, Ultimate but the execution just felt like very grindy and not very fun. And so if, if to see that kind of be, thing be executed in a good and interesting way, I think would be cool. The only issue I have with that is I feel like if anyone's going to have the more flexibility to do that, it would be Smash Brothers, where where Street Fighter, I think you're going to be you know working with a combined set of rules that they're going to kind of tweak, but you know, you're still going to largely just be kind of fighting and maybe they'll be like, oh, use this as an opportunity to learn a combo or use this as an opportunity to learn this or whatever, which can work though. Like I think Shenmue did a really good, Shenmue 3 specifically did a really good job of teaching their players their the the the, the move sets if you went out of your way to do it and like giving you incentive to do that so that could be a cool way to teach players you know individual moves in the game and stuff like that although i think there's like a simple mode in the game where it's just like hey press the triangle button do a hadouken if you want um uh, you know which uh, i i get that i i played street fighter 4 3d on the 3ds and i kind of appreciated the touch screen button that just like here press this button the thing happens. If you want the thing to happen, it happens. I can appreciate that. So part of me is like, okay, like, like maybe I'll, maybe I'll use that mode. I don't know. Uh, I think that would be better for me than trying to like, you know, actually learn. Well, it depends. If it's integrated into the gameplay that you learn that moveset, then that's cool. But if you're going to make it simple button mode, like, can you really integrate that into the gameplay? I don't know. A lot of questions. Most excited I've ever been for a Street Fighter game. Um, I think a lot of the questions about variety, world scale that's going to be a big thing of whether i actually sit down and check out street fighter 6 um but i am i am more excited for a street fighter game than i ever have been before so very cool um i want to talk a little bit about some of these smaller games here real quick one is uh stray this is like a cat game that that showed off since i think pretty much the playstation 4's reveal um, and it basically has a little cat going around the world, doing various things, doing stealth missions, platforming, delivery cat, maybe, I think, if I recall correctly. Um, but um, it's a cute game. It's a cute looking game, cute concept. You know, the cat movement's really impressive. I think the real question I have about this game, and like, I don't really expect I'll play this, but um, I think the big 
question I have is, is how does the movement feel? Because the movement always feels really stilted to me in a way that feels like you're going to move the character, but the game is going to do the in-betweens of trying to get you around that world, which can work, but it just depends on like how involved the gameplay is. Like, am I just going to be holding a bu- like the, the analog stick forward and pressing the A button and the cat automatically platforms from one piece to another? Is this an Assassin's Creed kind of thing? Or is there going to be actual skill in trying to move around the world? And if I think if you take the, the former approach, then you need to have more momentum-based mechanics in the game that make it feel good to move around that world. Where if you take the latter approach, I think you need to make it like interesting to control that character in that environment in different ways. So I I, I just kind of struggling a little bit to see how that game's going to come together in a way that would be interesting at the moment. But the concept's definitely very cute at the very least. So there was a game called Eternites. Eternites? I don't know what that is. Um, I forget who is making this. It was a company name I had never heard of, but it was actually pretty cool looking, kind of like an action RPG. I think the the announcer at the end called it like an action RPG dating sim, but I don't I don't know. Like like the, the definition around dating sim is so weird. It probably has relationship mechanics. Whether that's a dating sim thing is a whole other thing, right? Um, if you're just going and like answering questions, but um, the the big thing that jumped out at me this was just the variety of certain aspects of the game. You're like on a motorcycle riding around at one point. Um, there's also like some fun little like controller gimmicks of like hold R two to hold hold somebody's hand. You know, as much people as people make fun of like press E to pay respects, I kind of like appreciate that stuff, especially if it's like very creatively implemented, especially with like the triggers on the controllers and like how that works. Um, so so I think that stuff can be pretty fun and pretty cool. Um, depending on how the game handles it. So so we'll see. Um, the, the aesthetic looked a little plain for the most part. I think I kind of feel this way with like a lot of anime aesthetic games right now. A lot of them just look very samey. So I'm just kind of like, yeah, I mean, it looks fine. looks good. But like, like uh, I have no real interest in like picking it up. So so what I would need to buy Eternites, I think at this point, is um, really seeing a commitment to that variety of gameplay, really seeing a commitment to the variety of like, or to the, um, you know, how you interact with the characters in interesting different ways. Is it going to be mostly just dialogue selections and the R2 to hold hand is not really that big of a thing. Um, I would be interested in those kind of things where they make you do interesting things to interact with the character. Um, action RPG segments looked fine I, I didn't see anything about it that really like jumped out at me it's like ah yes this this part looks cool although i will say being able to switch like weapons um in combat is always kind of cool with action rpgs or just have really distinct weapons that you can switch between kind of thing so um i don't think i'll play that game ever but i think that's what i would need to really start like start looking at it i think right now it's just more like an interesting little nugget rather than something that i actually would want to ever play i think at the moment um, there's also a bunch of VR games that got talked about. I don't remember the specifics of these. It's like a Walking Dead one, um, a couple other ones in Resident Evil 8. And this actually got me thinking recently about um, kind of VR versus like the Wii. I'm a re- really big fan of the Wii, if you don't know for some reason. Um, and and what I like about the Wii is the ability to to mimic kind of motions and have that kind of correlate with something happening in the game and in some ways you'd think vr is definitely like a an extension of that if not more so and i will say i'm not somebody who has played vr so i think it's something that has not really been something i've experienced enough to to really say anything about but but i think um something that has always kind of been a hurdle for me with vr beyond just like finding the right headset buying it and having the space for it is um i think it's really hard to communicate variety in vr And I think the reason for that is when you look at a VR game, they almost always look the same. First person perspective. That's not always the case, but most of the time it's like a first person perspective. You can pick up things. It's either going to be a sword, a gun, 
or some other object and then you like move that thing and it interacts with the thing in the world um obviously that's oversimplification in some ways but when i think about like the games that are coming out like they almost always look pretty much the same to me and it's like different paints to them um i again i'm saying this to somebody who's completely ignorant of this like stuff and never played vr beyond like putting a headset on and looking at a chair in gran turismo and being like hmm. I could believe that chair is there. <laughs> and that was like my VR experience. I didn't even want to drive. I was just like, I just kind of want to look around the car real quick and just see if I could like put myself in the car, even though I'm using the VR PlayStation VR, which is like the worst one and, and like a blurry mess in some ways. So anyways, so, um, you know, I, 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 I think that's kind of the big thing for me is that like, I wonder if, when I'll feel like VR games have more of appeal to me because it, it does feel like the, the initial, hurdle of me seeing a variety of games handling handling controls and stuff in different ways always always kind of is the first thing like this kind of looks like every other vr game that i see um i still am very excited to someday try to play medal of honor uh the vr experience for that i liked how that game looked so i'm, I'm excited to check that out at someday but um other than that though like other than medal of honor and vr chat nothing's really jumped out at me resident evil could be fine but the problem is that like as i've gotten older i've actually gotten kind of like not opposed to gore, but like kind of more grossed out by gore. Um, and it doesn't even have to be like super gory. And like, sometimes it could just be like a gross looking thing. Think about like in near when that one character gets like stabbed in the gut and they fall on the ground and like the sword, like they're just stabbed. They just have a sword through them. And there's like not that much blood, blood may on the floor or something like that. But like the thing of like how the sword bends when they like fall to the ground and like, it feels like they can't, like get themselves in a position where they like can like they're not like wedging the sword into them further and it's like sliding around i was just like oh <laughs> um doom and stuff like that as well so like that that's my one fear with like play, playing a resident evil game in vr is that that gore aspect might not be something i, I particularly care that much about but I, I think i could get over that hurdle I, I would not have too much trouble with it um but but it would be a concern of mine uh for that as well and then the last thing on here that i have is um final fantasy 16 Real mix on Final Fantasy 16, although I got the impression a lot of people feel a real mix about Final Fantasy 16, um, depending on what you want. Um, I also saw some people like saying like, this is not my Final Fantasy or something like that. And, like Final Fantasy is always different. Final Fantasy should be different. Final Fantasy games should change. That is my opinion of Final Fantasy. That's why I think Final Fantasy is interesting is because each of these games can be their own things. And that's cool. That's awesome. I don't need Final Fantasy to like fit within these particular structures. We have weird future like, you know, space game with with one versus like, you know, uh uh like medieval stuff versus like Final Fantasy 15 and it's like weird pseudo modern day fantasy kind of thing. Like I love that variety that Final Fantasy offers. Um and and I think a lot of people are very hung up on the medi medieval aspect of this game in some ways. I'm kind of at the point where I I I think the medieval aspect might be might not be the the full scope of that game in some ways. I could be wrong. I just get the feeling that 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 we're, we're seeing right now is probably more the earlier uh, game stuff. Maybe I'm wrong, um, but I, I I think I have confidence that even if it is like that medieval setting, they'll make ways to like make that world interesting and things like that. Um, I think it would be a weird Final Fantasy game if it was very straightforward in that regard. Um, however, I do have a feeling I've talked about this before with like Naoki Yoshida specifically, like. When he talks about his design philosophy and what he did with Final Fantasy XIV specifically when he took that project over and revamped it, he very much is like a safety first kind of thing. Make a good game first and then pull in interesting things after that. Where I feel like I like games that have 
interesting ideas first and then build the game around that. And that's definitely more of a um, um, recipe for disaster in some ways. Not always, but um, but it can be more. And so Final Fantasy 16 feels like a very safe game in a lot of ways um, on its surface level. Um, and, and, and when I look at the, the, the gameplay aspect of Final Fantasy 16, I feel actually very, very much that way as well because so far what they have shown, again, have not like looked into it nearly as much as other people, I'm sure. But um, but so far what they've showed, it looks very character actiony focused, which is kind of expected. We've known for a while the uh, combat designer was somebody who worked um, on on Devil May Cry Five specifically, uh, and uh, what's it called? Um, Dragon Game, Dragon's Dogma, um, things like that. So it's kind of expected that the game looks how it does and how the combat looks how it does. Um, and the problem I have with those games is similar to how I feel about like Near Automata and things like that, where it's just like. The, the flashy sparks of just like a lot of attacks happening don't doesn't feel good to me. I feel like those games and look, I'm saying this as somebody who does not enjoy character action games, right? So if you're gonna if you're like, hey, this is not how character action games are enjoyable, totally understandable. Feel free to leave a comment, let me know. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm right in this regard, but for me personally, a character action game, you know, um, focuses more on the flashy aspect of what's happening. Um, like to the enemy and also a combo meter in the corner and like the, the numbers going up. It almost feels like a kick, clicky clicker, like numbers going up. I need the number to go up, get that big combo. The bigger the combo, the better the thing. SSS or like AAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAAA
um, you know, is it is it is it more of just a flashy cinematic set piece, or is there is there like uh, actual mechanical aspects to this? Is it going to feel slow because it's so you know flashy and cinematic in some ways? So I think there's a lot of questions about that aspect of the game. But I was very happy to see um, that uh, that 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 aspect of the game really be highlighted. So. I'm not very excited about Final Fantasy 16 at this point, um, and I have other Final Fantasy games that I still need to get through, so I'm not going to be like running out to get it as soon as it comes out. I think it's like a summer game, though, next year, so it's got a while. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets delayed again, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, it is a game that I think um, has the potential to excite me still, and I think the really big things I'm looking for is the mechanical hook and the combat aspect. What are you doing that makes this game you know, unique in, in, your, in your combat kind of thing? Um, and then also how, how are the summons implemented on, you know, how important are they? Are they important from a combat perspective? How important is that? Are they uh, and then like from a story perspective as well? Maybe, um, I, I felt like the, the, the summons in Fall Fantasy 15 were very, um, flashy and they did lean on that in the promotional materials, but, um, they never really like became a part of the, the gameplay experience that much beyond kind of some cinematic set pieces. And I will say some of those cinematic set pieces are some of the best of the game, um, but I would say that the, the implementation was fairly shallow. Um, the Garuda boss fight though, that was added later as DLC as like a Final Fantasy 14, um, crossover thing. Very good. All, almost all the Final Fantasy 15 DLC is great. And I'd say almost better than the main game, honestly, personally, as somebody who does not care that much about the open world aspects, I will say. So sorry, slapping my chest for you audio users who, who may not be, he's <laughs> weird. We've been going a while, but I think it's important that we touch on one more video game here. That's Sonic Frontiers. I know Sonic Frontiers has been a very um, <laughs> mixed reception for a variety of reasons. So this was originally revealed, I think, last year at the Game Awards. Could be wrong. Maybe longer ago than that, but it's been a little bit. Um, and I think I think at the time, everyone knew that it was going to be like an open world Sonic game. I think that was a, a pretty much a given um, at that point. So it was interesting to see or think about like what that execution would look like. And I think the thing that I've always been excited about with um, a possible open world Sonic game is somebody who's not that like, I do not like open world games very much, to be honest with you. A lot of it comes down not, down to empty space and not enough happening moment to moment that makes it interesting. I feel that Breath of the Wild fits within this to some degree, although there's, there's things that Breath of the Wild do very well. We'll probably talk a little bit about that today. Um, but but I think that's a, a real struggle with open world games is making sure the player stays engaged as they explore your world. And the things they're doing doesn't just feel like busy work. It feels like something that is like an actual experience that you're having. Um, I think that's a real problem open world games have. I don't think people necessarily agree with me on that, but that's me personally with that regard. So I typically like more structured linear games. So in the case of this though, I think one of the really big promises with Sonic in an open world environment is um, his speed, obviously. And and so with his speed, I think it, it could potentially make it so you could have those larger, emptier elements in the stage, um, but still move around really quickly. You know, I, I hate going back to Breath of the Wild again, but like I think about like how when speedrunners play Breath of the Wild games and how they kind of like launch themselves across the plains and things like that. So much so that the game can't even load stuff 100% as quick. So the game will like stop for a little bit and be like, wait, 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 wait let me load some, some more assets. In. <laughs> um, but, but I would be really interested to see a Sonic game that maybe not approaches that level specifically, but it captures that kind of feeling of moving incredibly quick over this open world. Now, the challenge with that is that, you know, when you have an open world like that and you're moving that quickly, um, chances are the, the things you're going to find in the world are going to be kind of hard to kind of get the player to notice if you're going so fast. 
Um, and, and they seem to be taking a very like breath of the wild approach to, to kind of the elements in the world with like, Hey, there's like puzzles spread out and things like that. Um, I think the unfortunate part of this so far of what they've showed, I think they're going to plan to show more. This is like the IGN first. I think they showed off like 14 minutes of gameplay up until this point. The unfortunate part, I think from a structural perspective is that at least all the, 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 the actual content they've showed of what player will, will, what the player will do and progress has been um, these like Breath of the Wild style puzzles that just seem very whatever. Like it is just kind of like, okay, you can do like this little block puzzle thing that's like not particularly anything Sonic focused. It's just kind of there. There's like a ring you can get it into run and run in. And I'm like, I don't like, I don't think they show mechanically how that works to mash the button or whatever. Uh, and there's like a tower you can climb. The tower you can climb is maybe the most interesting because he can dash at the sides of the tower. Although at some point he starts like climbing normally and then he like stops doing that randomly. I'm like, okay, what happened there? Um, but like, I, I think, I think that approach to the open world is maybe, um, a little underwhelming. Now, if that's just like essentially the Breath of the Wild Korok seeds, I don't think that's a big deal. You know, I think what the Korok seeds do in Breath of the Wild is it's not really content for the game. It's more of just, um, ways to draw the players to different areas and to keep the player just moving, always following that carrot on a stick to the next place. You solve the little puzzle and then you look off in the distance and there's the next little puzzle. That's where I'm going to go next. You can draw the player around in that way and make them make sure they're always kind of interacting with something along the way. So, so they remember, they remember those moment to moment aspects as they kind of go across the world. Though I feel like in the case of Breath of the Wild, um, those ideas extend so far across the open world that at some point all that stuff becomes almost completely unmemorable um so so i don't know how that implementation is but but you know i think that's a problem in breath of the wild and and sonic frontiers doesn't really seem to be showing it in a way that that are doing it a different way that makes me like really confident um but what I did like about this game when I saw it was like the the movement aspects of Sonic um in the in the world itself. He he maybe I'm a little split. It's hard to tell at times like how fast he is going cuz the standard walk speed definitely seems a little slower than I'd like or standard run speed, but it does seem like eventually you can build up enough speed and maybe start dashing. It was hard to tell in the the, the video footage that they're showing if like you can only dash a little bit because you have like an energy meter or if like you run enough you like get up to a higher speed. There were times that I I Sonic was moving as fast as I wanted him to through that world and how he was reacting to the world itself was also very I think overall uh, good you know being able to kind of wall run on, on the sides of mountains and things like that these are the kind of things I want out of that sonic move set in an open world like that you know you're gonna need a very momentum focused um, um, uh, gameplay style I think to make the best use of that open world environment in a uniquely sonic way um, and I feel like I saw some people complaining about like how the physics don't like make a lot of sense. Like when you jump on a rail, you just kind of shoot off rather than just like having a rail, like, you know, slow you down. So you have to build up speed first and then get on the rail. I think that's just too much to worry about in an open world environment. We're just trying to get somewhere. Um, so maybe that makes more sense from like a more like straightforward design kind of perspective, but I just don't think it makes a lot of sense in a, in a, um, in, in the context of, of, of just trying to get around the open world and do things. Um, so I'm actually pretty happy with the movement. Some of the animations janky, but I'll be honest with you. I feel like every Sonic game has janky animation. So I'd be impressed if, if they got a, like away with something that actually looks nice. I, I, as somebody who has enjoyed Sonic games in the past, I, I maybe shouldn't say I'm a Sonic fan per se, but has enjoyed Sonic games in the past. Like, um, like I, 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 I understand that the quality of those games from a, a mainstream 
like good game perspective and quotes there. Um, just, just the Sonic games just don't meet that. The 3D ones, at least. Um, for if that's bad or good, it's a whole other thing. I kind of don't really care um, that much. But when you think about this game, the context of like who's it going to appeal to and things like that, that is kind of one thing that I think the 3D Sonic games um, will really have to work hard to break that barrier. And I don't know if they ever will. I think Sonic Colors and Sonic Generations is probably the closest they 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 have. But those games on honestly ultimately rely a lot on 2D sections. Colors less so than Generations, but but then also Generations is probably more favorably viewed than colors in some ways so so i think that's like the stuff that i've definitely noticed uh in that and then the combat the combat showcase that they showed off um yeah i don't know how to feel about this because i don't know if what they showed off was just like a bad presentation of combat or um if it was that's what the combat is and it just it's not going to be like i don't know so so i mentioned earlier how like in the open world you want sonic to just kind of be moving right you want Sonic to be able to jump on a jump pad and just fly, keep on running, get on a rail. You want Sonic to get from one mountain to another really, really fast. That's my, in my opinion, that's what we're looking at. Sonic, you need to get from one mountain to the other really, really fast and really cool. And I feel like Sonic is, is it, it, they're, they're on that path to that. Whether they succeed in it, another thing. But I think I see the pieces there that make me happy. Um, but when you think about the combat perspective of the game, um, what they showed off in the seven minutes uh, IGN footage was a lot of enemies that take a lot of time to kill. And I will tell you one thing. I have never felt that a Sonic game where you're fighting an enemy that takes multiple hits to kill has ever felt that good. I think Sonic needs to hit something and it needs to blow up, basically. Uh, I'm not saying you can't necessarily have that, but I think that needs to be your focus. Um, and there, there are enemies in this game that seem to be maybe that more that more approach. But in this, this video is definitely focused on very long-term fights with larger enemies, and some of them are more interesting than others for sure. Um, but I think the, the like mechan- like when I think about what's probably happening in that gameplay, where like Sonic is like basically hitting this thing over and over again, you're l- probably literally just mashing the jump button over and over and over again, and 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 then once the enemy is done with you, they knock you away, kind of thing, or you jump away if you get too too spooked by the enemy glowing or something like that. So so I think that's my real concern is this like I don't think there's enough depth in what they showed in that combat on a one on one fight for a long term to make it interesting. Now. Um, they do have like kind of flashy special moves. How you activate those, I think, is kind of up in the air at the moment. Um, so maybe there's some aspect of that, but still, they didn't look that like crazy effective. I don't know. It, it looked a little underwhelming. Um, but there is like some large scale, almost like Shadow of the Colossus kind of fights. And this looks similar to like the tower sections of the game as well, where there's some interesting aspects to having to like climb up this thing and, and then fight them on the top. Um, so I think that could be cool as well. But yeah, I just think I just think the focus of that trailer at the very least was on these enemies that I think do not show that game in the best light. And I don't think that's that's Sonic strength, to be honest. Um, I feel stupid saying a little bit like saying like, hey, like Sonic strength is going fast because I feel like there's other games in the past where I've argued against that. Sonic the Hedgehog 1, I think, is a great example of like, yeah, you can go fast in that game, but I don't think its strength necessarily is going fast. It, that's its strength if you... Um, memorize that game. <laughs> but if you don't memorize that game, um, you know, Sonic as a platformer is interesting on its own as a platformer going slow. Um, but anyway, so so I don't think like, I don't, I'm not somebody who's like, hey, Sonic has to go fast to be good. But I think given this world and the, the structure they're doing, I think that would be um, 
pretty important. So, oh, there's like this weird knights thing as well, where you can kind of like draw these lines on the ground. They haven't really shown a lot about that. Like they used to like flip some enemy over, flip some enemies over, and things like that. That could be cool depending on how they utilize it. It's just one of those things that they haven't like showed too much about. So I'm just kind of like, eh, maybe it's cool. I don't know. It could be. It could be completely useless and only used in specific scenarios, or it could be cool. Um, so we'll see. I, I I'm cautiously optimistic about Sonic the Hedgehog or Sonic Frontiers. Um, I think the weird thing for me was like, and I could be wrong, you know, when you're online, you're in your own echo chambers and things like that. Even if you try really hard to get in different, like, like groups and things like that, ultimately you're only as, as, as wide ranging view as the furthest person uh, out of your group. And also what Twitter is wanting to show you, because if you don't interact with that person that's way out there, then Twitter is going to show you less of it. Right. Um, so, so like, but, but the impression I get is that both people who like classic Sonic games are unhappy and people who like modern Sonic games are unhappy. 3D Sonic games. I could be wrong about that. That's the impression I'm getting. And I think I'm really kind of lost looking at, like, what do people want out of Sonic at this point? I will say I've been waiting for Sonic to change, I think, for a while. Because I think about the fact that, like, I feel like Sonic Generations Unleashed and Colors kind of established this play style of Sonic game that has kind of extended into what we have today still. Um, and, and I think that game, that game has been, you know, it's, it's, it's moved a little bit, but like the core play style has felt very similar. I think not having played Sonic um, forces myself. Um, and, and so I, I feel like it's time. I feel like it's been time for a while that Sonic 3d Sonic needs to change again. Um, and I just think about what, what could have been done differently um, other than, you know, some of the smaller tweaks here and there. Um, and, and a lot of this stuff, I think, at times could just be a bad presentation of the content. It could be that they're still working on it, things like that. I don't remember when it's coming out. Is it next year? I don't remember. Um, like, like I, I just feel like I, I'm a little lo- at, at a loss of what people want that isn't just do the old thing again. Um, and, and, like, for me personally, again, not as a Sonic fan, as somebody who just has enjoyed Sonic games in the past, um, I think I, I think I just sit there and, and wonder what that is. I don't. I, I definitely don't want like another Sonic Colors or another Sonic Generation or Sonic Unleashed. We've had those games. I'm I'm ready to move on. Um, well, I say that as somebody who's not purchased some of those games as well or played through them. So like I have opportunities to get that experience today, right? I've got Sonic Unleashed over there on 360 that I've not even touched once. Um, I have uh, Sonic Forces that I still got to pick up and play at some point. So so there's spaces for me to explore. I need to check out Sonic Boom at some point. Lost Worlds. Lost Worlds looks interesting, I think. Lost Worlds, I feel like, is a, is a good example of like that kind of Super Mario. Like, floating floating stuff aside, it is very much like a Super Mario Galaxy moment in terms of like, the game's focus is not about Sonic's moveset. It's about how the world affects Sonic, right? I think that's like my, that's my impression of it. And, and that's a very Mario Galaxy kind of thing. I know people got weird about people call, like making connection to Mario Galaxy but that is that seems to be what that game is like how does the world affect Sonic and I think that's a very smart design decision and I love Mario Galaxy's approach to that so I think there's like room for me to enjoy Sonic Lost Worlds um someday I'll probably get it on Wii U if it's not too expensive but anyways Sonic the Hedgehog man that's a it's a hard topic that's it for this week thanks for coming onecontrolreport.com is the website um hey guess what's coming up this week content video kudan and squash review videos coming up this week um so if you want to check that out that's coming out on wednesday talk about my that that is one of my favorite gamecube games i think it's a game that i don't often show a lot of enthusiasm for because it has been like a really great gamecube game that i've enjoyed for 
basically since like the mid 2000s. I, I picked it up pretty early on, honestly. Like it was like probably around like maybe like late 2000s, actually. So maybe a, a handful of years after it came out. Um, but like I was a it was a cheap play Asia game to pick up and I, I loved it. Uh, I talked to a friend recently as well who, who had played and they're like, yeah, that game's great. I'm like, yeah. So I was really surprised and I looked online and didn't find um, anyone else who had talked about it. So Mr. T also kind of was like, hey, you should probably do this. So I did do it. Um, it is a shorter video, I will say. I did try to kind of get it produced in a more um, faster time span. Also, I, I kind of gutted the content from a different video I was working on previously. Um, so I think that kind of shows in that regard. So it's a little bit of a... a, a a little, maybe structured a little differently than a typical video I do, um, for better or for worse. So, but it, it's coming out this week. Check that out. Um, again, Patreon I had the Warriors Wood thing last week, and then the week after this, I'll have the um, the uh, the uh, Dojin books that I flipped through. If you want to check that in, I uh, check that out. Again, five dollars is all you need to get the uh, Patreon bonus content. Um, I've been, I think I've been pretty happy with this kind of like two week cycle back and forth, two weeks regular content, two weeks um 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 patreon content so i'm gonna probably break the rules from time to time on that um but but generally i think that's a good a good pace at the moment so trying to work that stuff out since i've had a lot of free time i've also been doing a lot of content up front so i i do have a lot of content produced at this point um that i'm trying to plan uh, ahead with so um it does make it a little hard to be enthusiastic about it when it comes out because i'm off working on other stuff while people are looking at this other thing um, rather than me like finishing it up and then putting it out the next week kind of thing. Um, but I, it is definitely a way to get like more consistent content. And and I am trying to find ways to kind of tweak tweak the process a bit and, and try to make it more consistent. I know, again, I said at the beginning of the podcast, I frequently try to do that and always have mixed success. Um, but at least right now, I feel pretty good about it. And I feel like the changes I've made um, have been uh, pretty good overall. So we'll see how it goes, though. I'm still working on more videos. I got a few um, in kind of the more um, drafted stage. I got a couple in the uh, more like, you know, ideation phase. And then a couple that I'm just thinking about way further out kind of thing. So, yeah. Anyways, I hope you have a great week. Bye.